Listen, we talked about going to the rescue mission, and we go out, we preach, and God goes before us, and we see hands raised, and it has nothing to do with us except that we are sharing the truth. We are sharing the gospel truth. And there's power in the gospel truth. You know, By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work your way into heaven. You cannot work your way into heaven. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. By, it's through faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God is the only way to get saved. And if you want resurrection power, you got to get saved. If you want true healing, you got to get saved. That only comes through Jesus Christ. Listen, in the Garden of Eden, when God created man and woman, all right, when God created them, he wants to walk hand in hand. He wants a personal relationship with us. He wants to be close, but there was a problem because sin entered in through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. No, God, who is holy, can't have anything to do with sin. So there was only one person who could come up with a plan to fix that. And that one person was God. And that plan was Jesus Christ. And Christ had to come as God and man because he had to shed his blood so there could be a forgiveness of sin. And he had to pay the wages of sin, which is death. And he died on the cross instead of me. And when he did that, forgiveness was available. Our sins can be washed clean through his blood. But we have to ask for it. We have to go to him. You know, the Bible, when it says that the apostles were defending themselves against the naysayers, and the naysayers were going, all right, so where's Christ? You say he's coming back. Where, when is he coming back? And they said to them, he's not slow as like we think slow is, but he's taking his time so that all can come to repentance and not perish. Forgiveness is there at the foot of the cross. Do you want it? When we stand before God on judgment day and he looks at us, do we don't want him to see a, a dirty sinner. We want him to see the blood of his son. Washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And that only comes through asking forgiveness and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So... Not planned, but we're going to do this right now. So I'm going to ask everyone here to bow their heads. And I'm going to ask anyone, if they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to jump off the path that's giving, bringing you to hell, the road to perdition, the Bible calls it, and on the path to heaven, so that you know when you die and you open your eyes after you leave your body, you will be present with the Lord. If you want to truly be healed, starting with your soul, if you want the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection power that comes through him, if you want to be saved from the wrath of God on Judgment Day, then I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And it's no magic formula. It's not how you pray the prayer. It's in your heart to God's ear. Through faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God. So please keep your heads bowed. 
Everyone, just out of respect for everyone else. And I'm going to ask you, if you've been on the teetering on the fence and not have made a decision and you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, now's the time because if you die, it's done. If you die before you've done that, you've rejected him. That's what the Bible says. You've made a decision. So if you want to accept Christ, follow me in this prayer. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. Lord, I believe that I need you in my life. Lord, I ask forgiveness for my sins. I ask you to come take control of my life. Lord, I accept you as Lord and Savior. And I thank you for the gift of eternal salvation. Lord, thank you for loving me. I love you. Keep your head down. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you prayed that prayer for the first time. All right, everybody raise their, their heads. And listen, let's give the Lord a clap offering. We just had eight people accept Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ, and you are awesome. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Listen, anytime during this sermon, if you've accepted Christ, not only those guys, but anybody, but if you've accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit's moving you to go to the altar and pray, you are not going to bother me if you go get on your knees before our living God. Amen. So if you feel the need to do that, you just do it. So I'm going to ask everybody right now, if you can get up, go say hello to somebody. And thank you for Pastor Bob for saying that this morning, because God definitely used him to tweak me. So amen. Praise God. Jesus. Okay, so listen, just just quickly, if uh, you were one of those people that raised your hand and accepted Christ, please don't keep it a secret. Talk to somebody about it. See a pastor about it. And uh, let's move on from here and uh, what God wants us to do. So we're excited for you. Fasten your seatbelt. Superchurched. Kate's escaping. All right, so anyways, so I find myself back. Um, this is like my third sermon when it comes to uh, the 400 years of silence. We talked about the book of Malachi. We talked about the beginning of 400 years of silence. And now we're going to talk about how it ended. And... Um, if you remember my last sermon, we spoke about Malachi and how God used him as prophet to call people back to righteousness. We spoke about the hot problem that people had questioning their service, pointing out that those who were doing evil were prospering while the righteous were poor, pointing out that those who spoke against God were going unpunished. And so they were basing whether or not they wanted to serve this God who's not 
you know, defending them or punishing those who are going against them or providing wealth for the righteous. They were struggling with their gratitude for what God had provided and were being drawn into negativity. They were focusing on what the Lord had taken away from them and not what they what the Lord had taken away and not what they had. People were. uh, Well, we know, let's put it this way, we know that many of them, they did not heed what Malachi had to say. But we also know that there was a small group that did. There was a group that repented, recommitted to the Lord. We spoke about how scripture says that the people in this group talked to one another. They exhorted one another. They encouraged one another. They spurred one another on to take godly action. They, they spurred one another on to return to the ways of the Lord. It was this group that God would remember. It was this group that when the day of judgment was going to come, that he would spare. And God was absolutely clear that when that day of judgment was coming, that if you were evil, you were going to burn. And the righteous would not. He also made it clear that before that day would come, that they would see somebody coming in the spirit of Elijah and the power of God, speaking God's truth. Turning people back to the Lord. And then as the book closes, the Lord tells them this very important thing. He says, follow all the law and everything that he had given to Moses. And then silence. That's 400 years of silence. They're used to having prophets in the land and God speaking through the prophets to the people, but not for 400 years. There was a silence. It was a time for the people to get ready for what was coming. Who is coming? The Messiah. It was a time to learn and grow in the scriptures that they already had and what God had given them. But unfortunately, many of them didn't. It was over this time period that Israel was dominated by seven different peop- seven, several different peoples, all bringing their own culture, all bringing their own religion, all bringing different levels of oppression. They were ruled by the Persians and the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Syrians and the Romans with various persecution, religious and otherwise. And as the false gods were bringing in, there became this pollution of the Jewish religion. And those people are already questioning God about serving him and his actions and what he hadn't provided. They were already leaning in that direction and they were ready to jump ship anyways. And as we move through that intertestamental period, it's important to understand that the religious, the political environment that was going on around the Jews at that time. From the beginning to the end. You know, we do see, although it was silent, we do see prophecies being fulfilled. We see prophecies in Daniel being fulfilled. We see the social and political atmosphere surrounding Israel starting to change drastically. And as you get to the later half of those years, during during the Greek and the Roman occupation, we see the rise of several different sects in the Jewish religion. But especially two that we're familiar with, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Both groups who were very religious, but also very political. The Pharisees actually started off as purists. They just wanted to follow the word of God, and then they started adding all their own rules to the law of Moses. And then they looked upon those rules as they were just as important as those handed down by God himself to Moses. They had a lot of control over Israel. And it would be Jesus who would severely criticize them and and lambaste them 
at one point in time for, for their lack of compassion and their legalism. So you got these guys, and they're also sharing power with the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they accepted Mosaic law only. They taught against the resurrection. They were connected to the wealthy. They had their hand in the pot. The high priest and most of the priests came from the Sadducees. The Sadducees, politically, no matter who took over, they became friends. They became friends. They became friends. Why? They wanted to keep their power. It was all about power. It was all about controlling the priesthood and the high priest. It was all about staying connected to the wealthy. It was also during these Roman times, toward the end of the period, that these factors and more led to the Jews being in a complete disarray with religion and politics. The high priest himself was no longer from the line of Aaron. It was placed by politi- he was placed by political favor, so they were selling the position. There was a king sitting on a throne, but he wasn't from the line of Jacob. He was actually from the line of his brother Esau. And if you remember from past sermons, Esau was the one that God called godless. He was the one who sold his birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew. Did I mention idiot? Anyways. So this king, the descendant of Esau, he was a familiar name, Herod the Great. He was the guy who ordered all the boys in Bethlehem in the vicinity, two years old and younger, to be killed. So this is kind of an example of what's going on around them. Things were changing and not for the better. There was an irreverence and the people had forgotten what God had told them to do concerning law, the law. People's wants and desires were driving decisions. Some Jews like the Sadducees and Pharisees were all about getting power and then all about keeping power. The environment, the attitude, the oppression, the pollution by other gods had people focusing on what was in front of their face. Focusing that on the change that they thought should happen immediately. Their view concerning the coming Messiah had nothing to do with the spiritual. It was incorrect and certainly incomplete. And it certainly wasn't because of lack of knowledge. They had everything God had given them. The problem was this. There were so many prophecies about the Messiah But these guys were focused and wanted a king who was going to defeat their enemies. They wanted a king who was going to come right now and beat up their conquerors. They were looking for the Messiah to be a political revolutionary. And it was those type of prophecies that they were concentrating on. They were kind of ignoring the other ones that showed his weak side. They're ignoring stuff like Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Uh, Where was that? Their picture of Christ was coming in and beating up the bad guys, man, and restoring his kingdom there. They were looking for a king to oust the persecutors, to oust the Romans, to establish his kingdom on earth. See, the salvation they desired was political and not spiritual. They had veered off course and allowed... And allowed what they longed for, freedom from oppression, to paint the picture of who they wanted Christ to be. The problem with that was this. 
Who they wanted Christ to be was not the Christ of Scripture. It was not the Messiah of Scripture who experienced grief, rejection, and sorrow. They were not even seeing that they were sinners and needed a Savior. And didn't even realize that they were waiting for this Messiah of their own creation. We need to make a point of that today. It's kind of a heads up, something we can learn from. And it's always wise to ask ourselves, you know, who do we think Jesus Christ is to us personally? You know, today where we live, our culture, our society, it's so easy to ignore the word when it comes to things that we don't like. And to run with the parts that line up with our agenda. One of our wants and our desires. But we need to be careful, should be very careful that we are submitting to the Jesus Christ of Scripture. We should be careful to hold ourselves accountable to God's word. To be uncompromising when it comes to what the Lord has told us to do. You know, I've learned this over the many years when somebody says to me, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ or I'm a disciple of Christ. The next question I should ask is, is it Jesus Christ of the Bible? Is it the Jesus Christ that's revealed in Scripture? Or is it Jesus Christ that you want to follow? You'd be surprised how many times it's the latter. This is a big struggle in our culture and our society today. The word of God is being called into question concerning many issues, but instead of holding fast, some have given way, some have compromised. If you call yourself a Christian, but continuously find yourself in opposition to the word of God, then you should ask yourself, what Lord are you submitting to? Because it's not Jesus. Hey, it's easy when it comes to these theological things and, you know, big things. Does Jesus want you to compromise? The answer is no. So if you're sitting there going, oh, you know, I don't want to start trouble. All right. What would Jesus do? WWJD? He's not compromising. Why do we? Let me just make this point, too, that when it comes to Scripture, questioning is a good thing. Okay? Questioning is not what I'm talking about. Questioning, learning is growing. But knowing the answer and opposing, not so much. That's called doing your own thing. One good thing, and we've said this many times before, I'm going to say it again because, listen, we all need, we all sin, we all mess up. Sometimes it's a pattern, no, sometimes it's got to be just laid down for the cross. There's always repentance available, amen? 
Amen. And let me take a moment for this and, and talk about this because we bring that word up a lot. We said it probably, I don't know, 5,000 times today already. Um, with that word comes with a change of direction. It comes with a change of mind to stop following what you're doing, to stop the sinning, to stop submitting to the world, to change direction, submit to the word, go in God's direction. Follow the Bible regardless of whether we like it or not. But here's the problem. Many talk repentance and, you know, we got this under the radar language going on called Christianese. We can all say the right things at the right time and you can shut people up by what you say. Say, well, God told me and no one can argue with that. And, you know, we know what to say. And people talk repentance, but don't. They say the right things, but they never really repent. They never really change direction and they never really stop that sin. They don't change their mind for the things of God and not of the world. Because when you do and you have true repentance, you're going to bear godly fruit. Got no fruit, got no repentance. So my encouragement to you today is, listen, if you've been stuck doing the same thing for 20 years and you know in the back of your eyes should really stop talking about it and do it. God's got a plan for you. And guess who's getting in the way? You. Because when you really repent, guess what you're doing? You're walking in faith. When you really repent, you're relying on God. You're trusting in the Lord. Right? When you refuse to repent, who are you relying on? Yourself. Don't talk a good game. Actually repent. And see what God will do. Many Jews got caught up in who they wanted Christ to be. And they missed the big picture. Missed what God was doing. And we don't have to because like the Jews, we have everything that we need to have the complete picture of who Jesus Christ is. Because we have his revealed will. We have the Bible. So listen, and this is really important. People say, oh, you know, I'm hearing from God. Listen, read the word. His revealed will is in front of you. Pick it up and read it. Maybe he's not speaking because he wants you to read it. Read it. Pray. Pray. Read it. Read it. Pray. We have everything that we need to live an abundant life through the word of God. Why wouldn't we read it? Don't get stuck in, I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen for God and you have never read the Bible. Please don't do that. Bible is, yes, it's food for the soul. We hear that all the time. And it actually is food for the soul. You know, the Bible will tell you what to do, what not to do. The Bible will keep you out of minefields that you shouldn't be walking through. Or the Bible's going to tell you how to, how to handle it when you step on that mind. The Bible's going to show you how to deal with adversity, and that's through the power of God and the Word of God. Hallelujah. 
You have God's revealed will right there. We have everything we need. Like the Jews, they ignored it. They didn't go there. We don't need to do that. We have to be reminded sometimes that there's power in the word of God for our lives. And sometimes we have to be reminded that he's not just our savior. He's our Lord. Right? When Jesus is knocking on that door and you open the door here and let him in, it's not two Jesuses. The Lord stays outside and the Savior comes in. They come in together. So at this point, what do we know about the Jews? We know that many of them weren't following God's law. They weren't seeing the complete picture of who the Messiah was. We know that there were divisions among the Jews and the word of God was being changed, added to. And men were injecting their own agendas. No, we don't see that today, do we? Men were injecting their own agendas and changing the word to fit them. But here's something to keep in mind. Regardless of all this garbage that's going on, God's plan was unfolding. God's plan was going to come to fruition because he's God. So even if we're making incorrect choices, even if we're making bad decisions, the plan that he wants to happen is going to happen. It's going to come to fruition. And for the Jews, though God was silent, his plan was coming to fruition. Prophecies were being fulfilled. And at the end of 400 years, we move into the New Testament and the silence ends. And the angel of the Lord is sent to bring a message to this priest, Zechariah. Zechariah, not only Zechariah, but Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. See, because they were both seen as righteous, as righteous in God's eyes. And they were about to be blessed because they had been praying for a child and she was barren. And this is what happens in Luke 1.11. Well, Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. <clears throat> Excuse me. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. God was no longer silent. And the angel Gabriel was sent to bring this message. And the news is remarkable. And the angel's presence is amazing. And it says Zechariah is like overwhelmed with fear. But it's interesting to see Zechariah's reaction here. Because in verse 18 he says, says to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in her years. What? It's an angel. And then the angel replies and he says, I am Gabriel, exclamation point. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Strong statement. 
He says, but now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So Zechariah is afraid, but he's going to question the angel about God's intention, how he's going to do it with these bodies that are old. And he's going to pay a price. You know, so many times we believe or we're seeking for God to say things to us and God finally speaks to us. And he says something about our direction. He says something about getting involved in a ministry. He says something about going to a person. He says something about maybe calling out sin. He says something to us. And he puts it on our heart. And all of a sudden we're like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. Was that really you, God? And we start praying, the Lord, I need confirmation. I need to know it's you. Okay, there's one. But Lord, I need another confirmation because I need to know it. Okay, I got that one. Well, what, what, one more, Lord. Gideon did three. Can I do three? And God goes, sure. And what's the next thing you got to do? It. <laughs> you got to walk in faith. You got to walk in obedience. Listen, you can have all the doubts in the world. You don't think you're going to have doubts about not going. I mean, going into a strange place. And working for the Lord, you don't think there's going to be some doubts there? But you're handing them over to God because you're trusting and relying on Jesus Christ. And you're going, all right, I'm in. But if you keep hearing from the Lord and you refuse to go in that direction, there's going to be consequences. I don't know how he's going to get your attention. That's up to God. Pray it's a tweak and not a two by four. With me, it's usually the two by four. But he will get your attention. Zechariah lost his voice. He couldn't speak until the baby was born. I want to encourage you today. If God is speaking to you, he's sending you in a direction and you know it. Trust in the Lord and walk by faith and let the Lord handle the rest. I want to encourage you to remember that if God wants to use you, he's going to empower you. If God wants to use you, he's going to make the obstacles go away. If God wants to use you, the hardships that you're going to face are not too hard for God. If he wants to use you, your faith is going to be refined, but he'll always get you through. Here, the angel had this powerful message. The person who was coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah was about to be born. It was John the Baptist filled in the Holy Spirit in the, filled the Holy Spirit in the womb. That's a cool picture. He was going to preach the truth in God's power. John was going to be an instrument to put the puzzle pieces back together, to unify through God's word, to open people's eyes to the Messiah, who the Messiah was, to call people back from selfishness, to once again put God's agenda at the forefront. This is what the book of Matthew says about John. John, Matthew 3, 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came to Judea in the wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. 
You know, I said earlier that the Jews were in political and religious disarray. Not only had the Pharisees and the Sadducees come on the scene, but there were several of the different religious sects that had formed. And there was a lot of divisiveness starting among the Jews and the different varied beliefs. And it was seeping into the families and it was father against son. And John the Baptist was going to take care of all of that. He was going to be the one who was going to mend that through the word of God, through God's truth. Prideful men have stepped in and distorted the word of God and they were adding to it and changing it. And he was going to attack that with the truth. And he was going to unify with the truth. And he was going to avert people's eyes from themselves back to righteousness and the coming Messiah. See, John was going to bring wisdom and truth to the unbeliever and break hardened hearts. The truth was going to cause people to see themselves as sinners who needed a spiritual savior. We know that the word of God doesn't return void. And John was going to bring that light into the darkness. And frankly, so should we. Listen, we know New Testament as a Christian that we have the great commission that we are supposed to share with other people. We're supposed to share Jesus Christ. We're supposed to share the gospel message. But I want to say something, and this this is a good flag. How important is that to you? How important is it to you to share the gospel message? How important is it to you that someone's going to have a final destination of heaven rather than hell? You know, I'm going to tell you something right now that if you are worshiping or following of Jesus Christ of your own creation and not a scriptural Christ, that's probably not that important to you. And that's really important because that should be a flag to you. Because that's of the utmost importance. Came to save sinners. You know, I wanted to take a moment and I wanted to share with this body. Man, I love this church. I love this body. I got brothers and sisters in Christ who are just had so many spiritual times of coming together and lifting one another up and praying and seeing these awesome answers to prayer and awesome healings and people accepting the Lord. And this time's no different. And as you remember, I mean, with Melissa's father, we've been, we've been, out in the open as far as saying we need to pray for him. He, he needs salvation. He has, you know, he had one kidney was taken and the other kidney works at 40%. And when they went in, they found all kinds of cancer. And um, he was in a lot of pain. And he was a man who went from doing everything to in the hospital. There was no in between. You know, he's a man who was an alcoholic, you know, and... Um, for 30 years, has been sober, but ran so many different AA meetings and big meetings, hundreds of guys. He's heard the gospel message, but he was also the guy with the heart and heart who would step in and stop people if they were getting carried away with sharing Christ in those meetings. Told me that. He was a guy who didn't even believe in God. Never mind Christ. His 
heart was so hardened when he talked to him, you know, and, and then, his, of course, his son died in 9-11. That didn't help. But the good news is nothing too hard for God. Amen. Amen. And on Monday morning, last Monday, Melissa led her father to the Lord. They repented and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And all I could think of when I was writing this sermon is at that moment in that, in that hospital room, speaking to him and him coming to the Lord, that my wife was the voice in the wilderness. You know, the silence ended in this period with the announcement of the birth of the one who's going to be crying out into the wilderness, who's going to lead people back to the Lord. And my question to you is, in 2020, are you going to be the voice in the wilderness? I truly believe people, God puts people on our hearts and in our minds in those divine appointments that come across our path. Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you going to share the gospel? Are you willing right now with somebody that God's putting in your heart, on your heart right now as we speak? And I can almost say that some people are seeing an image of somebody in their mind. Are you willing to go to them and say, do you know, do you need Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior? Because maybe they're going to die tomorrow. Are you going to be the voice in the wilderness? You know, before we end, I'm going to say this. I just and I praise praise God that so many people were praying for Melissa's dad. And you know what? How do you know unless you ask? Amen. And so I'm going to say right now, before we end this service, I'm going to ask people to shout out names of people who need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then we're going to pray for them all as the body of Christ together. And we're going to lift them up to the Lord and we're going to pray for salvation. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start. I'm going to shout out Connie. So just shout it out if you got it. Hmm. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Mm. Yes, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Mm. Mm. My enemies. Yes, Lord. Lord, as the body of Christ, we just come before you, Lord. We just thank you that you've given us the gift of eternal salvation, Lord, that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we are sealed as children of God, as children of you. 
And Lord, we just pray that for those people that we've just shouted out, Lord. We lift them up to your throne room, Lord. And we just pray for eternal salvation. We pray that they would get saved, Lord. That those hardened hearts would be cracked, Lord. And the truth of your word would go directly into their heart, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would wake them up, Jesus, to the fact that they are lost sinners who need a Savior. And it's only through your blood, by the blood of the Lamb, that they can have that. So, Lord, we just thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for loving them, Lord. Pray for salvation for them, Lord. We just thank you for who we are in you. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said... Amen. Amen. Lord, help us to go in your power this week, Lord. Help us not to forget one another, Lord. Help us not to forget those images that you gave us, Lord. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight, trusting and relying on you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Go with the grace of God. Have an awesome week.